0: Friends, welcome to another episode of the Soul Path Podcast. Today is going to be a healing journey. We'll be talking about deep wounds and addictions and the dark roads of spiritual awakening. As guest Matt Stewart shares his personal stories about swapping addiction for meditation, about finding his spiritual center, and testing his intuition about by jumping out of a plane. Uh, We're gonna get into lots of good stuff, the power of nature, altered states of consciousness, the transmutation of traumatic experience, so much good stuff about the itch you can't scratch and why the healing journey is so critical to spiritual growth, but just a friendly public service announcement guys this episode contains explicit content related to childhood trauma and i understand that that may be a trigger for certain individuals so listener discretion is advised but please listen in and i'll check in again with you at the end oh man i i gotta tell you what you know the, the picture i saw of you and your partner when you guys had the mud on your face you know the <laughs> face and i thought i got, I had to share that i had been in the same you know this whole idea of just being playful and having fun and being silly. Uh, I just love it. And I really love your lighthearted presence. And uh, so it's really an honor for you to be here today. Welcome, my friend, Matt Stewart to the Soul Path podcast, all about the spiritual journey, exploring the spiritual journey, human potential, what it means to be a human being and all that good stuff. And as I've uh, as I've been interacting with you online, I just got to say it's an honor. I see a centeredness and a presence in you that is, uh, it's just, it's right there, it's refreshing, and I appreciate that. So I assume like most human beings, you didn't just wake up one day and find yourself in that place. So I'm sure there's maybe a bit of a story there. Uh, But to start out, I like to throw a kind of a lighthearted icebreaker at you. And if you would be willing to just finish these three sentences for me, life is, people are, I am.
1: Okay. Life is refreshing. What was the second one? I have a short attention span. (laughs) Uh,
0: Life is refreshing. Okay. People are.
1: Oh, people are more intuitive than they are aware of.
0: Awesome. And life is?
1: Life is what you make of it. It can either be the greatest thing in the world or it can be the worst thing in the world. And it's literally what you bring to the table and what your perception of it is. Because I've, yeah, I mean, if I that's kind of segues into my journey, you know, talk about icebreaker. I mean, coming from a place of absolute, I'd say depression, anxiety, you know, for me, this path, I didn't even know I would how far this path would begin. Like when we first connected, it was, you know, we had talked on messenger and it was like, you know, starting with just hitting bottom for me. That's really what it was. It's like, you know, I'm a, I've been sober now for nine years. I think it is. I lost track. I'm uh, terrible at like recovery. I went to two meetings and like, this is just not for me. Um, it's a wonderful thing that AA is out there and that can help a lot of people. But for me, it just wasn't my thing. So I got out of this. So my sobriety has just literally been me being stubborn, just very stubborn and going like, you know what? I'm never going to drink again. And making that decision got rid of so many obstacles and got rid of so many roadblocks in my life. Because it was funny. I always I always used to think that like the universe would stop me from drinking. If I was meant to not drink, something would happen and I would stop drinking. So I remember towards the end of it, I would literally, when it was time to go get a drink to go to the store to go buy a bottle of whiskey to drink myself into oblivion i would literally sit there and flip a coin and i would say all right if it's heads i'm going to the liquor store and if it's tails i'm not going to the liquor store i'd flip it it come up tails like well all right best two out of three flip it again still tails all right, you know what? i'm just gonna go to the liquor store fuck it <laughs> can we yeah. swear on this
0: oh yeah let okay. it out yeah Ooh. Hey, it's a free get... range romp, brother, free range romp. There are no boundaries, no barriers here. It's just, it's all heart. So we're right. uh, sharing that. Yeah. That's uh that's a vulnerable place to be in. You know what I'm saying? Like, or it's a dark place to be in. It's vulnerable to share that a glimpse into that place. Right. And you say like, this is nine years ago or so you were just kind of at a rock bottom sort of a point. And that was, was there a, a, a transition in there where you kind of had that, bottom experience where you just landed hard and something clicked? Or how did that transition occur for you?
1: So it was actually kind of, at that moment, it was a soft transition. Before that, I had actually had a about, <laughs> about seven years before that, I hit a tree going 70, and I shattered my chin, and I broke my jaw, and had my jaw wired shut for six weeks. And you'd think that would have been the wake-up call. But no, no, no. That was drinking was still fun. I was still with friends. You know, I'd still go out and hang out with them. What we're talking about nine years, or we're talking about as that transition, it was me literally sitting alone in my parents' house, drinking myself isolated in the room, just not reaching out to anyone. And it was one day I had been drinking and I went over a friend's house and my mother called me up and she was crying hysterically. She's like, you can't keep doing this to yourself. you got to stop. you got to come home. you got to get help. So, I just went home, like something in me was like, all right, you gotta go deal with this now, you can't avoid it. And as I walked in, my parents presented it. They're like, look, you can either keep drinking and live on the street or you can get sober. And I took some time to think about it. And I realized what kind of a life is living on the street. I mean, for me, it was just even the thought of that was enough to go, all right, you know what, I'm done. And it was that next morning waking up and just going, all right, this is my life now. I can't drink. What am I going to do? And around that same time, I just, I was at my, let me talk about worse. I was probably about 250 pounds and about 5'10". So it was a big boy. People always said that I carried it well. And I, I still, I was like, is that a compliment? I, can't, I hid my fat very well. Thanks, I guess. <laughs> so at that time, the only thing in my mind was like, all right, I got to get a trainer. I got to lose this weight. So for me, I shifted the, the obsession with alcohol to working out all the time and to just transforming my life. And you know, that's a very common thing for a lot of people who struggle with addictions and recovery. It's like you find that physical release and it's great and it really helped. I lost 60 pounds. I got sober at the same time. I quit smoking cigarettes. So complete lifestyle overhaul, addressed the diet and all that. I got stronger to the point where I could feel like I could support myself and I had energy and it was amazing. It was profound. But I was quickly becoming aware that I literally just swapped one obsession for the other. And you can't exercise Every single day of your life. So then it became well, what do I do now? You know, and that's when Buddhism came up, honestly. And it was meditation, you know, finding meditation and finding that that spiritual center. And at the time, it was probably the second time I had discovered Buddhism. You know, growing up, my parents weren't, they were raised by super religious people. My dad I forget what religion he was, but he was born left-handed and they would hit him with rulers until he stopped and wrote with his right hand, you know, that old song and dance. So traditional religion was never really strong in my house. So I was left to to uh, to find my own ways. And Buddhism always called for me because it just seemed enlightened. It just seemed like it was calling to me all the time. And I started meditating and I never had a teacher. That's one of the things, and that's what led me to create you know, the life I have is I never reached out for help and never got a teacher until much later. So all of the progress I made took me nine years because I did it on my own. And if you find a coach or you find a spiritual advisor, you find someone, if you reach out for help, you can progress so much quicker. Absolutely. And I never did that. And that's one of my biggest regrets. And that's what why I do what I do now and work with people.
0: Awesome, I wanna come back to that. Uh, what you do now, because it's powerful. Uh, but I want to stay in the story for a minute here. I'm curious about how, OK, so I've been, I've been in AA and NA meetings. Uh, I was drinking and driving. After drinking a bottle of tequila, tried to drive my buddies home, got thrown out going 80 miles an hour, landed face first on the concrete. Shattered my cheek, knocked out all my teeth, broke my jaw in seven places, busted my shoulder, shattered my shoulder blade, compressed my lower spine. I was eating through my neck, breathing through my nose. I had my jaw wired shut for about six months uh, and was really I came out of that experience very angry. Right. I wasn't raised with traditional religion, uh, but I was definitely angry about being alive. People were like, oh, yeah, your guardian angels were like holding you and just like whacking you on the concrete, like, wake up. You know, and I rejected that. I'm like, what? bring it on. You know what I mean? Fuck that. I'm, this is not the way I'm going to roll. And so I was on a driven by pain and rage, uh, driven by not being able to look at myself in the mirror because I, I rearranged my face. I had lost my identity and was just in this painful place. So I continued rather than that being a wake-up call, it accelerated me into the darkness, if you will. So I went on that, that dark path and continued to drink, went into the military and, continued the reckless disregard for my life my well-being and the life and well-being of anybody around me ultimately uh, but in that time I was given the ultimatum I needed to go to the brig or go to the chaplain's retreat right so I was either going to jail essentially getting locked up yeah. or going to uh to this chaplain's retreat and I'm like Psh, yeah okay that's like a no-brainer you know what I mean I was <laughs> stationed in Hawaii I'm gonna go hang out at the beach with the you know the church crowd and, and get right with God that's what they said you need to get right with God and I was like Psh,
1: yeah I love that uh, phrase.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. What does that mean exactly? Yeah. <laughs> and so I think it's really profound how uh, you know that transition had happened for you. you hit bottom, and then there was that I think your words were coming back to a spiritual center or realizing, you know becoming aware of that. and for you that the doorway, the invitation was Buddhism, and that's uh, that's powerful. So not having any teachers. I'm, this is I'm really curious about this. It, can you identify why there? You, you know what I mean. Like, what was it? Why weren't there any teachers? Or you know, was it a resistance to receiving from a teacher, or was it just the the pure absence of a teacher? You know what I mean. Like, was life trying to speak to you through different people, and you were just not in a place to receive it? Because that's where I was at. Or was it literally just you know you were unaware? and just trying to make it on your own you didn't realize that there were people out there that could step in and help you grow faster.
1: It was a combination, honestly. It definitely was a combination because there were times the you know the universe would put people in front of me because I still remember people I talked to and I was just I was not listening to the wisdom they were giving and they would always end it with you know maybe not today maybe in 10 years but you're going to realize what I'm saying because I sat in your shoes and somebody told me the same advice and I didn't listen to them. So it was definitely that and part of my evolution was just never opening up. You know never being vulnerable enough to accept that I needed help. Like I knew I needed it but it was this you know this this idea of masculinity I got to do it on my own you're a man, you need to tough through it. You can just push through this. It doesn't, you know, you don't talk about your feelings. You know, I'm, I'm half Irish. So I think like that, you know, the Freud said the Irish are impervious to psychotherapy or whatever. And it's like, I took that. When I heard that quote in the movie of the departed, I was like, Oh yeah, that's me. That's totally me. <laughs> and it was like that same thing of just try to be stoic, I think is the word, you know? And I think a lot of that stoicism you know, it comes from the greatest generation. And I think as those people who went through world war two and world war one, they got to their deathbeds. They kept coming back to the fact, they wish they talked about it, you know? And I think that's true for me. For me, I didn't know where to look. Um, I didn't know who to talk to. And even if I did, it's a lot of people, they would go about it too hard because when you're trying to get somebody to open up and, emotionally and intuitively and connect spiritually you need a softer hand initially because you need to establish that trust and i had gone to to psychotherapy a lot when i was younger and none of that worked on me because it's like how are you feeling like fine and it was literally like that and like i always think it's like isn't this your job to try to get information out of me or create a dialogue no okay fine fair enough i'm done with this (laughs) and you know so for me it's it was just never reaching out. And that is so not the way to do it because like you said, I brought a lot of that resentment and anger. I mean, like you said, I remember waking up in the hospital and they had taken all the mirrors out of the room after that accident, because my chin was literally down here from hanging down there. You know, the first cop on the scene, I later found out had to get psychological counseling because stumbling upon that like image in that scene was just so grisly to him. So, I brought yeah,
0: I'm listening, man. It brings it back, it brings back a lot for me, yeah, uh, yeah,
1: and I think you you talking about what you went through kind of made me re you know bring that up, and I think that's could be one of the reasons why we're talking right now is we gotta we gotta rehash some things and you know <laughs> and move from move forward. but you know, and so, in spirituality and Buddhism, it's like letting go of the ego, and I could say that now because I'm at a different place. But when I first started this, it was I got to destroy the ego. It's evil. I got to get rid of this. I got to break through this. I got to fight my way through it. And you can't heal that way. You can't begin to heal because that's coming from a place of anger. It comes from a place of destruction. It's like one of my favorite meditations and I took it in a very dark way was like you start it's it's essentially like a body scan, but you do it and you start to realize that nothing inside of you is going to be left there. Once you die, like it's, everything's going to turn to ash and kind of dissipate. It's like the, uh, the cemetery, uh, cemetery concentration exercise or whatever. And now I understand what that is. It's like, everything returns back into the universe. It returns into the cycle. It's more of a beautiful you know liberation but at that time it was more about the death That it's like yeah nothing's going to be here anymore it's like it's all going to go away and when you go into any sort of healing with that it corrupts it and it does i think it does a lot more harm than even not finding that spiritual component and then trying to unweave all of that anger out of there later uh makes things a lot more challenging
0: absolutely absolutely i I, you know i came to see it later in life as my anger was a jar on a lid of unprocessed emotions. So I had this experience that evoked ultimately more emotion than I knew how to process at the time, that I was equipped to handle at the time, that I had the support to deal with at the time. And so I just cut ca- you know ca- capped it and that so I was raised without a dad, right? I never in my whole life called anybody dad my mom was married and divorced five times as far as out of high school. So there was a lot of, you know, assholes around trying to be my dad and, you know, abusive and this kind of stuff. So, uh, I just, I got galvanized. I got hard, man. You know what I mean? Like you're not getting in here, you know what I mean? And what the lid on that jar. So I never had to deal with the pain was a chip on my shoulder. It was anger. And, and that was even, you know, that was, I see now that was driving my behavior before the wreck, you know, and all that, that, you know, that was, uh, in 1997, just to put like a date on that, but the, uh, that anger, you know, I didn't realize how poisonous that was and that it had been poisoning me and continued to poison me really actually well into my thirties, into my second marriage when I had truly an unconditional loving partner who was there to uh, support me through a healing journey that I needed to go on. But, that that lid on the jar you know what i mean that anger is essentially ego trying to protect the heart is how i've come to look at it you know what i mean like it's a protection mechanism to not feel a deep emotional pain and agony and grief heartache loss all of that can feel worse than death you know what i mean at that point in time i didn't care if i died kill me take me now you know what i mean anything would be better than feeling the pain in my heart you know and But the healing journey, right, the journey that you've been on, the journey that I've been on, the journey that so many people have been on, begins with getting in touch with our heart. And we have to take that time to acknowledge this is the rage within me. This is the pain within me and all that kind of stuff. So I'm curious in in your journey, uh, how did that how did you grow through that or what was that process like for you transitioning from the place of anger through the healing phases what did that look like for you
1: well like any any good healing journey it was absolutely chaotic and awful <laughs>
0: yeah. That's you how know. i know it's real
1: yeah i love the term i got introduced to it as healing crisis i don't like that anymore i like healing storm because the you know, storm there's eyes to the storm and storms pass you know uh for me that healing crisis uh it it took some time you know it was honestly it, there's layers to it it's like peeling an onion you know i really like what you said about you know the the lid on the jar and that and i mean right when you said that it triggered us like whenever i see anger i know beneath that is a crying child that needs a hug inside of somebody and that's that's literally where it starts And that's where it it ends, honestly, is going back and connecting with that child that needs a hug, that needs to be pulled from that darkness, that needs to have the the scars polished off of them from what happened to them. And I mean, for me, it was going back and uh, fucking hate talking about this. Um, But for me, it was going back and dealing with the fact that when I was seven years old, I was raped by my uncle. And it completely fucked my world up. I didn't trust anyone. I didn't have a great relationship with my parents, um, especially my mom, cause it was her brother. And it just, it caused such a ripple effect. Like I started overeating as a child to compensate with that. And then I found drugs and those were wonderful. <laughs> and then alcohol. And then there's just all of these symptoms we're from masking that. And it's like, if there was the work that, you know, I do with people, the work that like more gifted and qualified people do with trauma survivors, if that was a thing back when I was a kid, I would have so many, so much of my life back and I would have enjoyed so much of it. And I mean, thank God I'm only I don't know, 37. So I got ahead of this early because I know there's some people who don't confront this till later in life. And So that healing journey is like jumping back in time and hanging out with some demons and then dancing with them.
0: Dancing with demons, man. That's a, that's a beautiful, it's a poetic way of, of portraying the pain ultimately. Uh, yeah, that's, you know, being abused and being on in in such a, especially from a family member and all of that, you know, that's, uh, that's the deepest, I think the deepest sort of pain and the fact that you didn't self-destruct, you know, you, you, you attempted to self-destruct or self soothe ultimately. Uh, mm-hmm. and then to be where you're at, like you said, to have come out of it at this stage in life, I don't, you know, I, I cannot even imagine the pain that you have felt that you've healed, that you've gone through in that regard, not even, um, but I would imagine, I'm. I guess, Does it feel now at this point that you've gone through it like that has prepared you to serve in a way or with a level of compassion or coming from a place that many people can't relate to? Does that make sense? Like you can see now, can can you see now or does it feel now like that was part of the process of being who you are today and that it can be in that sense kind of transmuted into a good thing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's it goes back to perception. I think, like you said, it could have, when an event like that happens, it can either destroy a person or it can mold them into something more than what that is. And I think when a person experiences any kind of childhood trauma, whether it's that or, you know, rape or, you know, abuse, physical abuse or mental abuse, you transmute it into a positive. I love that word transmutation but it's that's how you heal yourself and then with that you gain a depth of human suffering and compassion that i don't think anyone unless they've walked that path really has access to because you're then able to to empathize and you gain a trust when you connect with people because you've experienced that and i think that Because of that, like I had anxiety and depression. And now it's I I talk with clients and they experience that. And I can relate because I can go back into myself and describe the feelings of what it's like to have a panic attack. And the second I'm able to verbalize that to a lot of my clients, they're like, this guy gets it. And the walls start to drop. And then it's it's not about anything other than two people just trying to help each other, you know? Yeah. And I think that's what it is. And that's completely shaped me into who I am at this point. And there's still occasionally there's pieces that pop up that that need to be polished and addressed. But I think that's life. I mean, it's, you can't just get over something like that.
0: Oh no, no, it's, uh, you know, I have, I didn't, it took me, uh, it took me a long time to realize that I had some things that I was dealing with as far as PTSD kind of stuff I hadn't gotten over and it wasn't sexual abuse. It was physical abuse. And, uh, and but, in my anger mode in the early life, you know i I got to a point in my young adulthood, maybe twelve or thirteen, I had gotten into a fight, a fist fight with another kid, and I had him down and was just pummeling him. And I realized in that moment, I stopped myself. And I realized, you know, I, I could kill this kid with my bare hands. And when that happened, it was it was it was an elating feeling. It was a scary feeling. like I was shaky, like, oh wow, you know, uh, but I in that moment, I you know, I swore to myself, nobody will ever hurt another person in my presence ever again. Nobody's mm-hmm. gonna hit me, nobody's gonna hit my brother. nobody's gonna hit my mom. And from that day forward, I was, you know a you know, vigilante justice, right? You know what I mean, mm-hmm. like I'll go beat up the bullies, but more than that, uh, one day I was uh, I had done something wrong and I was being heavily reprimanded with a horse whip and the hands oh. coming at me and I grabbed the hand and I said no and I came at and fought and beat a full-grown man down to the ground and walked out and said never again and I went and moved in with some friends anyway uh, but that uh, that kind of stuff leaves a deep scar you know what I mean and like you said you know, that keeps coming up. I thought that I had processed through that. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, I've been there in my head. I've made sense of it. I've changed the story. I've, I've uh, emoted. I've let myself feel those feelings. And yet, and yet, there were subconscious patterns that persisted in my life. And as I was elevating my awareness and you know becoming increasingly aware of what's going on, not just in the world around me, but what's going on in my internal world, I realized you know there's there's something subconscious here. There's a subconscious inertia. That I wasn't aware of. And as I began to explore that areas of numbness, areas of resistance, uh, things that were kept manifesting, what's going on, how am I feeling and why, and all of that, I went another layer deep, a layer still deeper than I ever thought I had could go. And man, the, the weeping, uh, just the body convulsions. I had not experienced that before. I had never fully let myself, let go and let it all out and cry out to God, good old divinity, the universe, the essence of life itself, the sum and source of everything that is, you know what I mean? To cry out to the divine, you know.
1: There we go.
0: Wow. I'm sorry. That's a, It's a really windy day. I think I'm having uh, wind weather issues. At any rate, just um, that deep level of healing. Mm-hmm. It's so necessary, and I think it's a lifetime journey. And PTSD, uh, my brother went to combat, so I was in the army, I destroyed my body, went through a decade of chronic pain. I think I was telling you about my yoga journey, and that's what brought me to yoga. Uh, but my brother went in after me, and he did two tours in Afghanistan and came back and had PTSD, like had a hard time processing, right? And so that's what I think, oh, I want to help my brother out, and so I started studying PTSD. I got uh certified in a few different ways of, you know, therapy for PTSD, mindful yoga therapy and this and that. Uh, But ultimately what I realized in all that, what I discovered was that I was the one that needed, (laughs) I was the one that needed these tools for my own journey of healing. And uh, all of it ultimately connected one day where I kind of was like sitting, staring at the fire and thinking about this. I had been presented with this idea of surrender to God. And This was in the Yoga Sutras, right? The opening of the second Yoga Sutras, right? So uh, self-study, self-discipline, you know, passion and surrender to God. These are the heart of a yogi. And I'm like, yeah, self-discipline. I got it. Self-reflection, passion. Oh, yeah, zeal. But surrender to God. What the hell does that mean? You know what I mean? (laughs) And, uh, And when I was chewing on that, it took some time. When it finally clicked for me, it was a radical acceptance of the gift of life just as it is. Seeing the perfect imperfection, seeing you know, losing the illusion of imperfection, and realizing that every painful experience in my life had shaped me, had humbled me, had tempered me, had generated a durable faith in me. You know what I mean? A faith in the goodness of life, even though all this crap, all the shit, all the chaos, all the suffering. Uh, you know, there is so much darkness in the world, and yet, even in that, in the yin and the yang, you know what I mean? There is still a fundamental goodness. And that fundamental goodness is what I believe that we crave a connection with, you know what I mean, with the essence of life itself at the heart level. And this is why I believe the spiritual priority or the spiritual journey is the most important thing for each of us to do. It's it's not just the journey toward self-realization, the journey of of self-discovery and self-cultivation, but it's the journey of healing. And, And until we've gone through that healing, we can never really experience life it never gets in deep because we're so jaded we're so uh protected anyway uh, go ahead
1: oh yeah i really like the way you said that because i think you're absolutely right and it shapes that perspective too it's like do you want to look at god or the the universe as this vast empty void of nothingness or do you want to see the other side of that where it's full of limitless potentials and it has so much warmth and light to it. And you can try to walk that path of finding like neutrality or peace in the, in the void. But again, that's just, that doesn't hit that central need. There's always going to be uh, an itch. You can't scratch with that. If you start to accept that. Yeah. You know? It's like you're, you're in the desert, you're thirsty for water and it's, You're never going to be satiated with that if you go about looking for with that anger attached to it. So it's it's walking that healer's path and then coming to that self-discovery. Because it was like you said, when you started that yoga, you realized you were the one who needed healing. And when you can only take somebody as deep as you've been. Right. When healing processes, if you're if you haven't done any self-healing, you're not going to have any luck with anyone who really needs some serious help because they're not going to trust you. They're not going to know that you have been to the blackest depths of sadness in yourself at the bottom of a well and climbed yourself out because if you can lead yourself, you can help others lead themselves. In healing, you heal others or others heal themselves. You don't heal people. We just facilitate that healing inside of them
0: yeah it's a, it's about a i i believe it's innate embedded in our dna you know what i mean this this inner wisdom and the ability to heal and oftentimes you know people tolerate so much right we we tolerate as human beings so much pain oh my back aches all oh, my my hip hurts oh you know i got headaches or tension or anxiety or whatever you know we 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 become accustomed to that kind of the classic you know frog in a boiling pot but the uh you know oftentimes it seems like it's not until somebody encounters True crisis and has to go through the process of being literally broken, whether it's being broken on the concrete, broken physically, broken emotionally, or I would say even broken spiritually, uh, which is something that's uh, I've encountered a lot in life. But the that brokenness is necessary. It's like being broken open. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. the fruit of a tree. You know, it's like beautiful. You know, that fruit looks so perfect, so ripe. But when it's ready, it falls. And it falls fast. <sighs> bam and it splats and that fruit gets shattered and it looks like oh, the fruits destroyed you know but ultimately yeah. it's going to dissolve it's going to create nutrients in the soil so that that seed can then take root and grow into a new tree or new bloom you know and i think that that's how the crises are they break us open they break open the shell so that we can get into that fertile soil and you know a lot of times uh, when somebody's at that place, they don't realize, I think like you were saying earlier, you know, they don't realize that I you, we need to reach out, right? I couldn't do it myself. I needed somebody else to be there to help me heal and all of that. And that's what, I don't know, I guess if there's any way for me to feel gratitude for the journey that life has given, it's that I have now the ability to give back. You know what I mean? It's all for that purpose. That's the transmutation for me. But I, I want to shift a little bit here onto into the Buddhism for a little bit. The, the spiritual journey, uh, you know, I, I talk about the sages through the ages and all these different traditional paths. And I honor, I like to call the virtuous path of honesty, humility, and honor, right? Mm-hmm. To be honest with myself and with one another, to be humble enough, shed the assumption of superior knowledge, lose the illusion of imperfection, and then to honor each person's path. And so I'm fascinated by Buddhism. I have I have good friends that are Buddhist monks. I've been encountering Buddhist monks throughout my lifetime, kind of ironically in strange places. So how, how did Buddhism become your path? How did you find yourself on that path?
1: Buddhism came into my life three times. And I usually notice the number three uh, right around the third one. I'm like, oh, this has got to be something. Yeah. The first time, I discovered it. I'll be completely honest. Uh, The first time I discovered and became aware of Buddhism, uh, back when I was a teenager and I smoked a lot of weed, people would call weed Buddha. And then I heard of Buddhism. I'm like, what what is this? What is this thing about? Is this? And then I found out it had pretty much zero to do with marijuana. And I was like, all right, we'll put that on the back burner.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's not as interesting as it sounded, right? (laughs)
1: But But then around that same time too, and this is still part of the first time it was introduced, I OD'd and I remember waking up in the hospital bed. And apparently that night I was literally sitting up in the lotus position, rambling on about how I am Buddha and I am Jesus Christ. And, you know, looking back, I'm like, I mean, that was probably a lot of drugs too, but it's interesting. You know, it was like something inside of me in that altered state was dying to come out. that that spiritual connection and a lot of the thoughts that i have now and a lot of the concepts i'm embracing now when i used to smoke weed as a kid i had the same imagination or i had the same thoughts about reality and you know cycles of rebirth and death and spirituality and the nature of the universe when i would be high so it's very interesting now that completely sober i'm now going back to a lot of these what i thought were just weird concepts that i now i believe my mind was just in a different state where these things were allowed to download into me
0: back then fascinating absolutely yeah. okay so like uh i mean i smoked a lot of weed right when i went in the army they said do you ever experiment with any drugs i was like i smoke a lot of weed <laughs> you know <laughs> you know? have yeah. experimented with marijuana i was like no i smoke a lot of weed yeah there's uh, a difference <laughs> there's a big difference and uh you know and you know tripping on shrooms and all this kind of stuff right so when uh, growing up, my mother was a hippie, so I was kind of you know, whatever. I was open-minded about it. But what I'm keen on here, what you're saying is that you know, through smoking, you know, it it it's an altered state of consciousness. You know what I mean? There's you know, we can get into the biochemistry, what's going on, but ultimately, I find that it's quieting down the mind. Ultimately, mm-hmm. and the mind's getting out of the way, and so then there's this, this space for you know, universal download for insight, for inspiration, for creativity to flow uninhibited. And do you find that that, that you achieve a similar state now through meditation or other means?
1: Yeah, I absolutely do. And through breath work and combining that with meditation. Absolutely. I mean, the, let's see, I think it was a month ago. A month ago was very weird. I was, uh, doing this new meditation and I got into a space and all of a sudden I just was, I've never been that relaxed. The, I have only been that relaxed one time in my life. And then like i talked no stress in the body, just completely present in the moment. And the only other time that I've ever felt like that is the one time I tried heroin. I snorted it and I had 20 minutes of pure relaxation followed by six hours of vomiting, everything in my stomach up. <laughs> so fast forward now to when i discover that i'm like oh i can get that without vomiting everything i've ever eaten in my life okay cool yeah <laughs> so yeah. it's just these insights you have in altered states that when you start to walk on the spiritual path and you start to really get into it they come back up mm-hmm. and now it's even more profound because now i'm accessing that with none of that in my body and now it's like okay this is actually a real thing the the drugs are they're they're gateways into it and i think they can show you a lot but it's when you start to rely on them as a crutch and you don't try to develop those that awareness or that that relaxation or that insight outside of those altered states that's when it becomes dangerous and that's when doing drugs is a bad thing right. you know plant medicine is a big thing i hear about that all the time doing ayahuasca and you know doing that once in a while seems to have profound shifts in people's consciousness
0: right yeah or even microdosing psilocybin or microdosing, LSD, I mean, it's all the rave, right? I mean, the they guys are doing this all the time in Silicon Valley and all that kind of stuff because there's, they're trying to push the creative envelope, I think would be their kind of a justification for it. Nootropics, all these, you know, what can we do to, you know, basically hack our brains? Well, the biggest thing, yes, nutrition, what we put in and all that kind of stuff is having an impact on our system. But by far, by far, in my opinion, in my personal experience, by far the most profound and powerful impact is through the breath, and breath work, deep breath work, you know. Uh yes, pranayama, you know, yes, tai chi chi gong, all this kind of stuff, yes, holotropic breathing, yes, cyclical breathing, all this stuff. Uh, what the what's so amazing is that it's so accessible, it's so it can be gentle, the breath can be it can be uh the breath can give a person. Kind of a gentle holding hand and lead you into that inner world and turn on the light switch and realize what's going on waking up on the inside Uh, that's the path most people prefer ironically in dealing with people with ptsd and i've had the the honor the deep honor to work and help several people through the healing process uh sometimes we're so caught up or in self-protection mode especially when dealing with ptsd or deep trauma we're not receptive right and so but and this is where the the breath is like i mean it's like a battle axe i mean you can come in (laughs) and just like go hacking through like clear the thicket of thought and use super powerful breath work that will i tell people you know i can make it feel like you stuck your finger in a light socket, light you up like a Christmas tree. You know, you want to blast the prana and the chi. You want to clear out the nadis and the meridians. You want to get yourself aligned and in tune. You want to experience Kundalini awakening. You want to feel your chakras spinning. You know what I mean? Like, yes, we can do this. You know what I mean? And what happens or what I've experienced in that. And first I experienced it myself and then have since led others to this experience is it just blasts it out. I mean, it's like, uh, it's cathartic. You know what I mean? It, it really is something that is so, so powerful. So, I mean, back to smoking a lot of weed or tripping on shrooms or LSD or heroin or I mean, you know, all this stuff, you know I mean? Snort a big fat line of cranking like, ah, yeah, yeah, you can get all of that just from the breath. It's not just gentle mindfulness, you know, feel the breath in and out of the nostrils. That's one level. And, and this is certainly a very soothing and practical application But there's also this other stuff that's available and it's something that i get excited about because you know it's it's uh it's an inner resource it can never be taken away and when we wake up to that that's the power within to me is the power of the breath and we begin to use that tool oh man that's when the deep work starts you know that's when the deep work starts so we were uh talking about durable faith on that post and you'd said about uh durable faith is like breaking in a nice pair of Wranglers. <laughs> I love it, right? Because <laughs> I, I got to ask, did you grow up riding horses or with horses at all?
1: I didn't. The second I, actually I know horses are the most gentle beings on the planet, but they have this long face that just it frightens me to my core. I don't know what it is. Talk about irrational fears. I've been horseback riding once. Um but there was just something about that pose. Like it's just like breaking in a nice pair of jeans and for whatever reason when I Saw you on that. I was like, I bet you Luke knows a lot about Wrangler jeans.
0: <laughs> yeah, matter of fact, when I, I lived in Massachusetts uh, for about a year and a half, uh, up in uh, Holland, Mass, had a lake house out there anyway, and kind of went all around the state working with horses. And so, anyway, breaking in a pair of Wranglers is, you know, it's a little uncomfortable, but once you get them in there, it's like a nice pair of jeans. Durable faith, though, uh, I I want to ask you if you've got you know, stories or a story that, that would help provide that context. I, I feel like you have such an acute understanding. You understand thoroughly and to the core of who you are, durable faith. What in life has tested that faith? What was your faith in and how was it tested? Tell me about your durable faith experience.
1: Ooh, all right. Let's see. What's a good one. You know, for me, durable faith, it's. You have to put your. You have to trust yourself and you have to trust your universe. It's like. It's like a, a trust fall exercise with that. You know what that is? You stand up on a higher place and people are there supporting you. It's about being open to the universe and saying, Hey, I'm going to get somebody up there has got me. So for me, durable faith comes out, I like to challenge myself a lot. And I like to confront a lot of my fears and terrified of heights. So for me, the logical way to get over that was to jump out of a plane, was to take myself so far up to the heights and go, okay, you're going to do this. It might be super uncomfortable, but you need to do this to get over this. And I remember that experience, everything leading up to it. I remember being in the plane, uh, you know, I was, you go tandem. So I was probably having just a hard time breathing because I was so anxious, right? And I was very anxious going up in the plane ride. I'm <laughs> and then the guy comes in behind me and your are tandem. So he cinches the strap and it's literally right below your ribs. So it's cutting off half of my diaphragm. So now I can barely get in any oxygen. Ooh. And in that moment, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm along for the ride right now. Something up there has got me and this is all going to work out. And the guy taps me on the shoulder, he says, are you ready? Because at that point I could have tapped out and said, no, I'm not ready. And I'm like, sure, let's do it. So then he literally, because you're strapped in, he just like picks me up and then we walk over to the edge of that plane. And like, it's a door open and you're literally looking down. I'm like, oh, that's earth. And that's really far down there. And then in my mind, I'm like, okay, this guy's got a parachute, maybe two parachutes. If it doesn't open, I guess that's it. Uh, I guess it'll be a great ride. And then you sit on there and it's completely out of control. Like he's now in control of you. You've told him, you've told this man, you've told this guy is an extension of the universe and your support system that you've now, that I've now placed my trust in. And I'm just sitting there and all of a sudden I start to feel my body going sideways and then I fall out of that door. And in that moment, I was terrified for a split second because you're now falling, you're defying. Gravity, you have nothing, you're just going down there. But one of the things they tell you is if you can't breathe, scream. So I scream and suddenly I'm breathing again. And not only that, I'm enjoying this. I put my trust that the universe is going to take care of me and I'm now free falling 10,000 feet down to the earth. And a funny thing happens it doesn't bother you. You know, when you're in a roller coaster ride and your stomach shoots up into your throat, that doesn't happen. You're up so high that your body can't register points in space. So you're literally just falling and it's peaceful. All you can hear is the air rushing by and you can breathe perfectly fine. You're seeing these beautiful clouds all around. It was a cloudless day. The winds died down. I'm seeing the earth, I'm seeing farms. I'm seeing the earth from a perspective that I don't think anyone has ever seen unless they've, well, you can do it if you're in a plane, but to jump out and fall down, no, very few people see that. And then the guy pulls a chute an abrupt stop and you start to glide down. And then now you're no longer falling. You're fully supported by the universe. You're supported by a parachute. You put your trust in something that you were gonna survive. You tested your faith to do that. You overcame your fear. And now you're slowly gliding down to the bottom. Not only that, but I tested my intuition that day because before we jumped, I said, there was this little circle of gravel on the jump area. And I'm like, I'm gonna call that I'm gonna land there. And I didn't tell the instructor that, the guy who was jumping with me. And what do you know? Lo and behold, we land right in the middle of that gravel pit. And I call that. And to me, that's, I like to test things extremely and very acutely. So for me, that's how durable faith was tested that day. Yeah. And that's one of my favorite stories about overcoming fear as well.
0: <laughs> that's so, yeah, the trusting, that that huge element. Uh, I use faith as an acronym as following an intuitive trusting heart. and but that that trusting in life right trusting in the universe trusting in the goodness that's there even if i can't see it and and also part of that is trusting that if it's my time it's my time you know what i mean like if I, if this is not meant to be i go backpacking uh, i try to get twice a year i go out on a solo backpacking trip and i'll go out and you know hike 60 80 miles out in the back country all by myself because that's what it takes for me to get grounded like right? to get out of my head fully right it takes days and, uh, but I'm going out there and feel are like, aren't you afraid you're going to get eaten by a bear? You're going to die or, you know, like, no, like literally I don't have any fear of that. I trust implicitly wholeheartedly that everything that at one I've prepared, you know what I mean? I, I have done the homework I've been backpacking my whole life. So I'm, I'm not going into it blind or naive. You know what I mean? I'm prepared for any situation. Uh, and, but I'm trusting that there's goodness out there waiting for me. Basically, it's like it's like I imagine uh, a sanctuary out there somewhere in the mountains. And when I can step into that sanctuary, it's just me and divinity, baby. It's just me and the universe, and that's where I get my download. That's where I get my recharge. And uh, but it is a trust, you know what I mean? And it is a faith that. Everything is going to go well. That I'm not going to break my leg or get bit by a snake or eaten by a bear. And I think that there's a huge connection between having faith and you know projecting out that trust, which is also very closely tied to surrender and acceptance. But trusting in the future goodness of life is uh, it, it helps create that future goodness in life. Whereas mm-hmm. if we're if we lack faith, if we're in fear or don't trust, you know what I mean? We're hesitant. We're projecting the possibility that things might go wrong and all that kind of stuff that has a silly way. I don't know how, you know, cosmic law of attraction kind of stuff, but it tends to manifest out then, you know, that experience. And as I say those words, I'm thinking like, why does that happen? I think the reason that maybe that happens is, uh, well, let me ask you this based on what I just said, What's your perspective on that as far as fear versus faith and projecting out positive versus negative potential and the manifestation of circumstance, call it law of attraction or law of reflection or what have you. What's what's your take on that?
1: I believe it wholeheartedly. Honestly, the first thing when you said that, the first thing that comes to mind, my first lesson with that, I was on this outward bound program and it was in Boston harbor I was about 13 you go out into the wilderness for 2 weeks as a boy you got there was about like 20 of us and there was two grown instructors who were like survival experts and they take you out in there and we were deep in the woods and we were crossing uh, a stream or a little river cuz i think it was bigger than that and what we had to do to get the bags across is we all kind of stood at points and then we would toss the bags to each other to get all the bags closed, kind of form like a, a cargo line. And the last thing they said after giving us these instructions and we were all set up is don't drop the bags. Cause then everybody will be mad at you. And in my mind, riddled with anxiety, I go, I'm going to drop this fucking bag. I'm going to drop this bag. Don't drop the bag. Don't drop the bag. Don't drop the bag. They toss the bag to everyone. Nobody drops it. It's my turn. Drop it right in the water. And in that moment, I was aware of something. It's like, if you put that thought out there that this is now a possibility. It's always going to be a possibility, whether you acknowledge it or not, but it's now almost calling that possibility. in. you're putting out this attractive energy or you're pulling that energy towards you where something will go wrong because you've now said it will go wrong. You know? And I think for me, that was picked up, uh, you know, familial and ancestral. A lot of that just from, always assuming that bad things are gonna happen and then watching these bad things manifest and simply by not acknowledging that and making a shift that there is goodness out there and good things do happen and starting with at the end of every day, gratitude journal. How did the universe support me? How did I feel supported today? Starting to do that is one of the greatest things ever because then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm actually a lot of good came into my life today. I only focused on the one negative thing. I only focused on the one dent I got on my car, but I got 16 other awesome things that happened to me. And I think you know, touching your story too, like for me, I'm more afraid of human beings than I am the natural order. Cause I think human beings have lost connection to the natural order. So going out into nature, yeah, there's a lot of things that could harm you. There's bugs, there's animals, there's natural occurring things like a tree could fall down, but it's usually cause and effect in that realm. Like if you step on, if you upset a bear, like the bear is going to give you a chance to run, but it's only reacting to what you did. So it sounds like you have to accept that you did something unconsciously or not that affected the bear. And now the bear puts that energy back on you. Whereas humans, you can just walk down the street. I mean, there's thousands of videos on the internet of kids just walking up and knocking people out for no reason. And it's like, there's no cause and effect in that. You just felt like knocking somebody out there's no rhyme or reason to that so it's almost like humans have lost that rhythm and that rhythm without that rhythm it's now chaos like that that attraction law law of attraction love whatever you want to call it that doesn't exist but now in this natural world that you have to hike out to to find like you got to go six days back country i didn't realize that like i hiked into the grand canyon and, and connected that way But it's like you got to go six miles away from people before you can kind of reset and go like Oh, wait, this is what it's all about. You get that peace. You experience nature as your temple, for lack of a better word. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, even just being indoors when it's raining for three days straight, I start to go crazy because like, I need to go outside and realize that the sky is just, I don't even know, thousands of miles above me. And then there's more to it than that. Because if I look up, it's just nine, 10 feet up to a ceiling. And that kind of seems claustrophobic to me. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's beautiful uh, about being out of rhythm or out of sync, humanity, and uh, it is. It's. Uh, I think that that's a, a great observation. It's like it's like being in nature. There's the natural rhythm of each day, the sunrise. You know, there's the the natural seasons of the cycle, uh, cycle of the seasons, and all that. But the, all this is having a profound impact on our physiology. You know what I mean? On how we feel, and you know, and all that kind of stuff. But to the extent that people are indoors and disconnected from nature, uh, I think there. this is the way I, I see it. So to the extent that a person is, is disconnected from their own self-sustaining, su- you know, self-reliability, in other words, you know, the more domesticated a human being becomes, the further they drift away from reality. And the further detached they are, removed from reality, natural reality, the reality that exists without human perception, right? Uh, without interpretation, that reality, the further away from that, they get, uh, an individual gets a human being gets, the more trapped we become in the mind and lost in the illusion, because we do not, we no longer have that tether to reality, to what's actually real, the natural cycles. And without being tuned into those natural cycles, we get caught up in the frequencies of our head. And that is just chaos. You know what I mean? And, uh, and that's huge. That's huge. I like what you said about uh the temple you know that that spiritual place and i just want to come back to buddhism for just a second because i'm i'm fascinated by it i i i'm not a buddhist i've studied buddhism i got my college degrees in philosophy i studied you know buddhism in during that time and i've had you know uh, lots of buddhism books on my shelf because it's profound it's a path, profound path right um mm-hmm. uh, in your experience on that journey, do you have you had spent any time in an actual Buddhist temple?
1: No, not long term. I've visited some of them, but I haven't done any retreats.
0: Okay, yeah. yeah,
1: um I would love to. I think for me, it's you know, right now it's COVID, but for me, it's the other thing of that's I studied the Buddhism that I studied was Theravada and Buddhism, and I picked that one looking back because it's 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 the hardest one to actually get a hold of and to find connection with. And if you find connection with temples here, they usually don't speak English because it's it's a smaller sect. You know, uh, Mahayana Buddhism is like, this has got Zen Buddhism. It has that larger reach of more well-known. That was, you know, founded with Sanskrit and that's the language with that. But Theravadan was Pali. The language of Pali. And it's really only practiced in I think Sri Lanka and Thailand. So it's very like niche. And I picked that because I wanted to pick the most difficult and challenging thing. I think because I wanted to put up, I don't think, I know, I wanted to put up as many obstacles as I had to overcome to connect with that when I first started this because I wanted it to be it was the ego that drove me to that as I'm saying and I'm like I'm gonna pick the most obscure like hardcore Buddhist religion where there's like zero connections and I have to do this all on my own and I'm gonna do everything myself and then what I found is I wanted community and it's like well you got to travel all the way to the other side of the planet you don't speak the languages there so how are we gonna do this
0: <laughs> yeah Yeah, I I was curious about the temple experience because, uh, you know, I've been in, I've only visited and I've never done a retreat at a Buddhist temple, Um, done a couple of retreats at some other uh, sanctuary kind of places, but there's something so peaceful and profound about those spaces where people have been praying and chanting for, you know, years and years. And uh, in a book called The Intention Experiment, there they it's a meta study and calling all these stories, but basically they've gone in and studied the, you know, the molecular structure, taken samples and put glasses of water in there, all this stuff. Bottom line is not the dork out on all the science of it, but the, uh, the, the <laughs> of those places is actually embedded in, you know, the peaceful harmony, the, the vibrational frequency of that vibe of open hearts, of chanting, of worship, of surrender. It literally, you know, imbues, it embeds itself into the molecular structure of everything. So the wooden bench, you know, is a little bit more aligned. The water uh, molecules are, you know, swirling. It's just, it's like the dance we're talking about. You talked about dancing with the devil in the beginning. This is dancing with the divine. You know what I mean? And when we come into that temple space, that sacred space, whether that's a, a room in our house, you know, some people set up an altar or, or you know, a prayer room, meditation room in their house, uh, whether it's outside, whether it's a yoga studio, whether it's a temple, you know, entering into that space really is, it's so refreshing and rejuvenating. I think that we feel it at the level that's deeper, it's beneath the threshold of thought. You know, I mean, like yeah. we can experience that sanctuary and, uh, So when you're in your practice, in your personal practice, do you have a, like a set place of meditation or are you more in motion outdoors kind of meditation? What's your, what's your favorite way to meditate?
1: I do both. I do both. You know, I have a meditation pillow. Um, It's got, uh, it's from Thailand. It's got elephants on it. So it's like, that's kind of the central thing. When I do a stationary meditation, it's always on that. And I try to bring it out outside. I did have a small little uh, shrine set up that I ordered, it had uh, some lucky coins from different uh, ashrams that people had given me over the years, it had some, had a Buddhist statue on it, had uh, this piece of wood that I actually found in the woods, obviously, but that I saw in my first guided like spiritual meditation. I saw this piece of wood and then later on a hike, I went to the exact spot and that exact piece of wood was there. So that's, yeah, so that's literally, yeah, that's literally always been with me for the last, Six years since I found it. But I think for me, I'm my biggest struggle because I grew up with ADD and all that is sitting still. And my partner always laughs at me because we have planned to go on a three day retreat. And I'll let you know, I'm a little afraid to do that. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. You go into like you said, with when you go into a temple, there is another thing going on there. It's just so peaceful. And it's like the second I feel like that, I'm like, oh, I got to be a good boy now. Uh, uh.
0: (laughs) now we're back on thank you again for your grace let's go ahead and just transition before the wind blows up and knocks out my internet again Uh, i just want to say thank you matt so much for being here and for sharing your story it's powerful and i think that a lot of people are going to get you know connect with that from a very dark place to coming back to that spiritually centered, elevated place and the journey. And I mean, it's a human journey, but to be able to learn from somebody that's walked that path. If somebody felt uh, just like, man, Matt is like a magnet. I got to get me some Matt in my life. So uh, how could somebody reach out and connect with you if they were looking to uh, learn more about your coaching and, and all of that? Tell me about that.
1: Yeah. So right now, get social media. I don't know if you've heard about this thing uh, called social media. It's pretty big, yep. all the rage right now. <laughs> <Alrighty>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so right now, I'm at uh, Facebook, Matt Stewart. You'll see my picture on there. Uh, I have a group that I do with my partner. I offer group coaching with my wonderful partner. Uh, it's called the Alchemy Transmutation Program, where we teach Ooh. people how to get in touch with their energies and transmute them. You know, I handle the physical body, she handles the spiritual body she's a gifted energetic healer and we come together to work on mindset and things like that Um, so we have a facebook group on there and then also instagram it's matt underscore alchemy a-l-c-h-e-m-e because it's spelled like alchemy as in me because we get you to connect to yourself on a deeper level so that's what that is
0: that's super awesome super awesome uh alchemy transmutation the magic of life you know all of this comes from the core of our being right that that pure energetic awareness that is our soul potential and uh that's uh pretty awesome do you have any final words of wisdom anything that you just would share with the audience or anyone listening today
1: oh wow yeah i mean Biggest thing is believe in yourself, wherever you're at, wherever you're at in your journey, your life, uh, your life is a story and you can make edits and change that story and turn it into from a tragedy to an adventure, from a story of sadness, to romance, to love. It is yours to create, transmute, craft, and you owe it to yourself to live the best life you possibly can every single fucking day. Yeah. Because if you're not
0: you're missing out, right? Yeah.
1: Oh God. Yeah. You were missing out on something wonderful. Cause this place, uh, you know, the spaceship earth, this life we're on, it's, it's pretty great. It's pretty yeah. wonderful.
0: Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Luke, I mean,
1: I appreciate your time. Cause I think this is awesome to connect with you. And I thank you for, for hosting the podcast and putting this together. And I look forward to, to keep connecting and growing together. And yeah, this is an awesome time. Awesome experience for me. So thank you, man.
0: That's it. Yeah. It feels like, uh, like my brother from another mother. You know what I mean? I don't know. just just So much much of your story resonates with uh, my own life experience. And it just feels like we're both out there at this place, lifting people up together. And so, yeah, it, it certainly lifts me up. I'm rejuvenated every time uh, I connect with you. You know, I, one of the posts, what are you grateful for right now? You had posted that recently and I paused and it, you know, my, my heart's happy. And it was that it's, you know, your presence and the presence of other people in the social media scape, you know what I mean? That are truly beacons of light, truly beings that are there to help make the world a better place, aligned with that purpose, that higher intent. And with that, you know, the love and the light that shines, man, that's lifting the vibe, that's lifting humanity. And that's when, you know, that's when shit gets real, right? Because we've been there, you've been through it. You know what I mean? This isn't pie in the sky, rainbows and unicorns. You know what I mean? This is like the real deal. This is how to get your shit together and how to feel good. Even if you're broken, even if you're dealing with depression, addiction, anxiety, you know, physical ailments, chronic pain. Hey man, if you're stuck, You don't have to be stuck. Go talk to Matt. Come talk to me. Go talk to somebody. You know what I mean. Find somebody to help you, help lift you up, help you go through that healing journey, and you'll get there so much faster if you find the right person, the person that you connect with, that you vibe with. And so that's uh, that would be the encouragement from my heart, or just where I'm at in this moment. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And yes, I look forward to continuing to connect and collaborate. And hey, maybe someday uh, we we throw together a, a virtual, not a virtual, an actual retreat you know what i mean like let's get people together sometime here when the covid calms down and all that so
1: that would be incredible and i think everybody is ready for that because we got to get outdoors we got to breathe some nature in, we gotta yeah that would be incredible awesome i look forward to that very much my brother
0: yeah well hey man been an honor a pleasure and thank you so much look forward to connecting with you again soon and until then man may peace pervade your day have a fabulous fantastic friday
1: you too man have a great weekend take care